It's been over two years since I took a flight anywhere, but I enjoy uh, traveling. I enjoy flying. But there's always one thing when you're kind of flying that, that makes me a little anxious. It's when the gate attendant comes over the, the speaker and says, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like this flight has been overbooked. And we are looking for people to volunteer to take the next flight or we're going to have to deny boarding to some people. Now, usually when you book a flight, you're going like, I got to get somewhere at a certain time. You don't often build a ton of extra time in the the traveling there. And so I've been there a few times going like, okay, I hope somebody volunteers. I hope somebody volunteers. Please don't bump me. Please don't bump me. I need to get where I'm going. Now, I know that there are some Christians who live with this don't bump me anxiety when it comes to heaven, when it comes to eternal life. They're plagued by this question, like what what if I'm not really saved? What if the day where I stand before God to be judged, he says, you're not going to heaven. What, what if I find myself condemned? And often what, what this, like this, this anxiety is caused by is what's going on inside of them. Um, in Romans chapter 7, Paul kind of mentions the struggle that we as Christians have with sin. And I'm thankful he says, it's like, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things that I don't want to do. What is wrong with me? And, and this can make us feel awful. It can make us feel insecure. And we go, okay, am I actually saved or not? And these doubts, they can play in our minds. They can make us lie awake at night going like, what's going to happen when I stand before Jesus? Now, maybe you're not a Christian, but you've, you've thought about it. You're going, okay, at the end of this life, what happens? Like, will I be judged? Am I going to be held to account for what I've done and what I haven't done? And, and you've wondered. Now, Romans chapter 8 has been called one of the best chapters in all of Scripture by some people. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be in this chapter. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 8. And the Apostle Paul, he starts off this chapter with this powerful verse. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, condemnation, it's, it's like this judicial legal word. It's, it's like, imagine you're in a courtroom and, and the judge would condemn someone who is guilty. And so Paul is saying that those who are in Christ Jesus, they're not going to be found guilty, that, that they won't be punished on judgment day. And this is the good news that the gospel declares. But, but this whole idea of condemnation, a, a lot of the time we're like, what, what do we actually do with it? Because it, it's a word or an idea that some of us find unpalatable. Um, it, we, we go, it's kind of intolerant. It's, it's, it's antiquated. Maybe it's just unnecessary. Like if you've ever been online and, and maybe there's like a news article or something that's been shared and it's, it's even remotely related to religion or spirituality, it doesn't take long when you kind of scroll down in the comments, you're going to find a guy who's like overly aggressive, looks like he doesn't leave his basement ever, and he's going, condemnation, hell, judgment. This was just something created by the church to, to keep people in line, to cause fear, to, to get them to submit, and, and maybe they would say to, to make money. In our culture, we're going, okay, what do we, what do, we do with condemnation? And some of us would go, like, I'd rather just Romans 8, 1 says there's, there's no condemnation. Just kind of leave it at that. And the idea that God would condemn us, it, it's a stumbling block for many people in, in, in Western civilization. It's, it's one of the, like, kind of the make or break things when it comes to people accepting Christianity. 
And many people are appalled by this idea that God would condemn those who don't trust his son to an eternal place of punishment. Bertrand Russell, he was a philosopher, he was an atheist as well, and he said this, I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. And he's going like, it's inhuman to believe in hell and condemnation. And people go, okay, this idea of God condemning people doesn't really fit with the whole New Testament theme of God being a God of love, and, and we don't really like that. Now, some Christians go, okay, we hear you. We hear you. So we've got some suggestions and they come up with some ideas that are a bit more tolerable. One is annihilationism, that God will annihilate everyone who is in hell from existence so they won't suffer for eternity. Essentially one day, if you reject, if you reject God's son, you'll, you'll just cease to exist. So it, it won't be that bad. Some have gone the other way. It's universalism. It's like, okay, everybody makes it to heaven in the end. It's all good. It doesn't matter. Like, we'll, we'll take different paths to get there, but we're all going to find our way there because God is so good. It's like some of those ideas, they might resound, they might appeal to you, but the problem is there's no scriptural support for them. Now, a lot of people, again, I said, they go, okay, God can't be a loving God like the New Testament seems to emphasize if, if we're, there's all this talk about his wrath where he condemns people for all eternity and the, the reality, though, is that God's wrath, it's just as much a central New Testament theme as the love and the grace of God. Like about 13% of Jesus' teaching, half of his, his parables, they have to do with condemnation and hell and judgment and punishment and God's wrath. Like Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, you kind of get a bunch of those things in this passage where Jesus says, then he will, say, he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Charles Darwin, he, he said this when he, he reads scripture, he goes, I can indeed hardly see how anyone ought to wish Christianity to be true. For if so plain language of the text seems to show that the men who do not believe will be everlastingly punished. Now, what we have to admit is this. Just because we're repelled by an idea, just because we don't like an idea, it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that it's not true. All it means is like, you, you just don't happen to like the idea. It's like, I don't like polka music, but polka music continues to exist. Like it, that's the, not how it works. And so when we talk about these things, we also have to realize this. We're viewing this through the lenses of Western civilization or Western culture. But the reality is that when people talk about these things, some people have the exact opposite feelings about God's condemnation and judgment. They see evil that, that people commit and they go, okay, how, God, how could God be a good God? How could God be a, a just and a fair God if there isn't divine judgment, if there isn't some sort of punishment? Like, again, we, we, we don't realize, like, because we kind of, we know what we know, but living in Western civilization, we don't understand necessarily how good we've got it. That there are parts of the world every day where women and children, they're kidnapped, they're tortured, they're raped, they're sold into slavery, they're, they're, they're murdered. And so for, for people who are a victim of that, or people who know people who are a victim of that, the, the, to say like that, that these people won't be punished, that's an appalling idea. Judgment isn't something that you cringe at when you, when you hear these things. It's go, no, I, I want judgment. There, there, there needs to be some sort of account, and people are thankful that God punishes sin. And think about it. Like, we, we get this. 
At, at the end of World War II, um, the Allies, they'd heard some rumors about what was going on in the concentration camps uh, run by the Nazis, but they, they, they didn't know for certain, just kind of some things. But as they kind of come in and they see the damage and what the, the Nazis had done, they were just horrified by what they saw, the amount of uh, Jewish people who had been killed in the Holocaust, millions. Um, and, and they're seeing just kind of what's left from it. Now, at the Nuremberg trials, the, these Nazi leaders were put on trial for what they'd done. Do you think people were losing sleep over this? Going, man, I hope that it's not that bad that these guys are going to be judged and punished. No, like people were glad. They were, they were happy to know that these men would be held to account for their crimes. I think we look at some of the things that are coming out of the news from Ukraine, and we just see some of the atrocities that are being committed, these things that are essentially being condemned as, as war crimes. And I think for most of us, we would go, okay, I'm not losing sleep. I'm not, I'm not struggling with this idea that if, if these men aren't held to account in this life, that they're going to stand before God one day and have to answer for these things that they've done, for these atrocities. And as a culture, like, we, we protest things. We, we try to cancel the people that we think are doing wrong. And why? It's because deep down we know that injustice is wrong, that it has to be paid for. And deep inside, all of us long for justice. We believe that if a person murders somebody, steals something, rapes someone, that they need to be held to account. If they went unpunished, we would go to the authority and go like, what are you doing? Why are you letting this person just get away with this? We would be upset if they went unpunished. So be honest with yourself. If God just let all sin, all evil go unpunished, would you say he is a God who is worthy of worship? If God turned a blind eye to the injustices that people suffered and that, the, that the just one day they would not be held to account, would you go, he's a good and loving God? I don't think I could do that. And to suggest that everyone gets into heaven because God is so good, that sounds downright awful to people who've suffered evil at the hands of others. And so we, we go, okay, if God is good and he's perfectly just, he needs to judge impartially and fairly. There must be consequences for the evil that people commit, that if God is just, there, there has to be some sort of condemnation. And the doctrines of God's wrath and condemnation and God's love, they don't contradict one another, but they actually they fit, to go, fit together. They go hand in hand. That God is compassionate, he's merciful, he's patient, but he's also just, and he's moral, and he's a purely good being who doesn't make his decisions based on the way we feel right now, on modern sentimentality. Like, have you ever noticed that things that were, were acceptable just a few years ago, we, we as a culture go, man, those things are evil and th those things are wrong. And they might be, but here's the thing. As a culture, we're constantly changing our minds about what is good and what is, is wrong, what's, what's evil and what is righteous. And so we, we have to go, maybe our cultural moment is not the preeminent decider about what is right or wrong in creation. Now, some of us are go, okay, God can make that decision, but Man, the, the punishment that he doles out, that's kind of harsh. Like somebody sins for 75, 80 years, and then God comes along and goes, yep, you're condemned for eternity. We're like, man, that's, that's heavy-handed, isn't it? How is it fair? 
that if a person intentionally murdered somebody, it takes them five seconds to pull the trigger, the person's dead, comes to the judge in court, and uh, the judge is like, time for your prison sentence. I think five seconds seems about right. Like, no. It, it might have taken them five seconds to commit the crime, but you're not going to go, the punishment should only be five seconds because the human life has value. It has worth. And so the punishment needs to fit and, and, and be the equivalent of what has been taken away. And so the penalty for our sin, it's not based on how long it took us to commit the crime, but the seriousness of the offense committed. And, and what we do, like we tend to minimize the things that we do. Minimize our sins. We're going, it's minor, it's insignificant. It doesn't really deserve a, a big punishment because it, it, it didn't do much harm. And we go, okay, this was just a little lie. It was a, a minor indiscretion. It didn't really cause that much harm. It only affected me. But only God is in the position to, to actually say or understand what it means to ignore his commands. Like, we, we don't really fully understand sin or how it affects the universe. We go, it only affects me. No, no harm really caused. But we don't understand how our sin might affect people around us or in other parts of the world. We're not in the position to go, here's how my sin is gonna to affect tomorrow, and five years down the road, and 75 years down the road, and 100 years down the road. But do you know who was in that position to see how it all unfolds? It's God, he, he sees it all. And only God knows the full ramifications of our sin. And so the, the issue is not simply the nature of the sin or the sinner, but the one being sinned against. Like, uh, imagine, I slap you. You're going to be offended. You might press charges against me, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that if I did the same thing to the Queen of England, just like went up and slapped her, the punishment is going to be much, much more severe. Why? Because of her, her title, because of the authority she carries and what she represents. Like it, it's just, it works differently that way in our culture. Now, that's human relationships. Imagine us doing this to God an eternal, infinite, holy God. Like in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so sin against God, it's not the same against, as sin against another person. All sin also is ultimately committed against God because God, as our creator, has given us a standard by which to live. And every time we go, now nah, I'm going to do my own thing, we are sinning against that standard that he has put in place, that, that standard by which he intends that we would live by. And we have to understand, God's not this finite being who we sin against one or two times in our life, but he's, a, is, he's an infinite, perfect being of great worth and value. And this means that sin against God is not insignificant. It's not something small that you can easily fix. And so what do we do when we've sinned against God? What, what's, what's the right punishment? What, what's, what, what's, how do you make up for sinning against the creator of the universe? Well, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, it's, it's talking physical death. Yes, you will physically die, but, but there's more going on there. This, this death is emotional. It's, it's um, psychological, relational suffering and anguish known as hell. And ultimately, we're going to be condemned because we've chosen to experience autonomy apart from God. We've gone, God, I, know, I think I know better than you do. I'm going I'm to do my own thing. And God's like, okay, if that's what you want, you can have it. 
But what we're going to discover soon is that we're kind of in trouble because we're going, ah, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. But it won't be that way because we're left with nothing but suffering. Because as soon as you remove God from the equation, we discover everything good and perfect actually was coming from his hand. And so every human being is in trouble because there's this universal law. There's this principle that says sin or those guilty of sin will be condemned. And so Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8 verse 2. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now in verse two, Paul's kind of introducing two different competing laws, principles, orders that you find in the world. And the first one is the law or the principle of sin and death. Now if if you were to, like from day one, from the day you were born until the day you die, to live perfectly, like not break any of God's commands, not one, in theory, it, it could lead to life. Because the law is kind of there to, to act as guardrails for us on this, this path to life. It's like, stay within these and, and you'll, you'll be okay. But the problem is, in our weakness, we all sin. Like, we, 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 we fail to live up to God's standard. And you're going like, ah, it's only God's standards. Like, why do I have to play by his rules? But think about this. Like, we don't even live up to the laws that we create for ourselves. We, we disappoint ourselves constantly and, 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 and fail to meet our own expectations that we impose upon ourselves. It's like, I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to exercise and be healthy. And then it's like day two, it's like, eh, never mind. We, we go like, here's my diet, self-imposed, going to eat healthy. It's going to be awesome. We fail to live by our diet. We disappoint ourselves. We go, I'm going to be more patient. I'm not, I'm not going to get so upset. But it's not long before you find, okay, you're not nearly as patient as you expected to be, that you, you wanted to be. We're going to go, I'm going to exercise self-control. But then we self-indulge. And the reality is that we don't live up to the standard that we know we should. Like we feel that Romans 7 struggle that Paul talks about. I, I don't do what I want to do. I do the things that I don't want to do. Now, the the reality is we don't live up to God's standard either of what he tells us to do, which is sin. And if if the Ten Commandments were like this test of how are you doing with God's law, we'd all fail. It's like, yeah, lied. Yeah, I've kind of stolen a few things. Yeah, um, I've coveted. I've been jealous. Yeah, I've had angry thoughts towards people in my heart. And Jesus goes, "That's, that's murder. He says, if you looked at somebody else's spouse, somebody who was not your spouse, goes, that's, that's adultery. Like, I, and none of us are passing the Ten Commandments test. Now, here's what the law, the principle of sin and death said, is that sin always brings death in all its ruinous varieties. And like, even if you're going like, I don't know if it's so much of a cause and effect thing, our experience, it, it tells us that it's, at least it's not proving it wrong. Because it's like, anybody know about anybody who's lived forever? No, I, I don't. Every person has died, but it's, it's, it's kind of like it's death and decay in all their parts of it. Like you, you see somebody who commits adultery on their spouse. You're going, ah, oh, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's just, it's just me. 
But what happens? It destroys that relationship. And it begins to destroy that family. And it kind of works its way out, bringing death and decay in all those different ways. So since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, death has always brought, or sin has always brought condemnation. And just like gravity says, like, what goes up must come down. There's this, this law, this principle that sin brings death. It brings condemnation when you break commands. Because why? You're guilty of treason against God and believing that you know better than he does. And, and we, we might not get our heads around this, but like, let's go with this. This is God's creation. He, he created it all. He created us. Everything belongs to God. And he goes, here's a certain way I want you to live. Here's how we do things here. And we might not agree with it, but ultimately it belongs to God. Now put it in your, like in your home. Somebody comes into your house and is like, ah, oh, you've got a beautiful home. But then they start kind of disregarding the house rules. It's like, they, I don't like the way you put the toilet paper on. I'm going to flip it upside down. This furniture, no, we're going we're gonna to move it because it's, it's better here. You don't know what you're doing. They go to your, your, your fridge and they just like start eating it, throwing stuff out. You go to go to bed, where are they? They're sleeping in your bed in the master bedroom. It's like, we'd be offended. We go, what are you doing? This is my home. I get, to, I get to say how we do things here. This is what we do with God. God's going, there's a certain way I want you to live. But we're going, no, I think I know better. I, I'm going I'm to do my own thing. And so we're all guilty of sin. And God's law, it can't save us. Even when we're like, I'm, I'm going to live right. I'm going to play by the rules. It, it won't save us because it wasn't intended to do that. Now, Paul says in verse 3, God did what the law could not do in He set us free from the law, the principle of sin and death. And and how does he do it? Well, God says that he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's going, God became human. And Paul's being very careful with his words in verse three. He's going, Jesus was a real person. His body was fully human. It had everything that a human body was supposed to have. Like my daughter, Jane, she's got lots of dolls and it's like, she's always trying to change them. And when you take off the clothes, what's underneath? They're formless. And some of us like, don't consider the full humanity of Jesus that I'm not trying to be crude, but it's like Jesus had everything that a human being had. Like I marvel at this, that, that the son of God, God in the flesh had a belly button because he was born of a woman. That, that, that he entered in. He became one of us. He knows the human experience, but Christ in his incarnation becoming fully human, he's not like all other human beings in that he was sinless. He lived the life that we couldn't. And the purpose of the incarnation, it's it stated at the end of verse three. Why do we celebrate Christmas every year? Is it just to get a break? Is it, is it to have some great songs? Is that why Jesus is lying in the manger? No, Paul says it's to be a sin offering. And we have to understand, God, God couldn't turn a blind eye to our sin and still be a righteous and just God. He had to satisfy the law's requirement that sin demands death. During the French Revolution, there was a young guy who, who, who was called um, to, to be put to death by the guillotine. And many people loved this young man, but nobody loved this young man more than his father, And on the day that he was to be executed, they called the young man's name. And the father had the same name as his son. And he went forward, he put his head on the guillotine, and he lost 
his life. He laid down his life for his son, demonstrating how great his love for his son was in dying in his place. This is what the gospel says, that Jesus showed his love for us by dying in our place. And verse, verses three and four, it's, it's a summary of the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, that God sent his divine son to suffer the penalty of sin in our place on the cross. He satisfied the law's requirement and maintained his own righteousness. And th- so this is why we go, we are saved by grace. That, that God has given us something that we didn't deserve. That, that, that he laid down his life, his son's life, so that we could be forgiven. And so for those who are in Jesus Christ, Paul's essentially going this, saying this in Romans 8.1, the trial is over, the verdict is in, you are not condemned. And some of you have been told this. Like if, you, if you're in Christ, and they'll say this to Christians, like when you get sick, it's because you've sinned. That, that, that's why you've got cancer. You're having struggles in finances. You know why? God's punishing you because you've sinned. And it's just like heavy-handed and it's condemnation. Something's going wrong in your life. It's God's punishing you. You must be sinning. But that's, that's so anti-gospel. That's, that's not what the gospel says. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says, How much more than since we have now been justified by his blood will we be saved through him from wrath? Like, God is a just judge. He's not going to demand further retribution by punishing you. As we live in this world, yes, we're going to see the effects of sin. We're going to feel the effects of sin. But Jesus was punished in our place on the cross. He said, it is finished. It means his work was sufficient. God's not looking at you going, yeah, Jesus didn't quite take all of it. I need, I need to punish you. Time to suffer. Like, that's not what the gospel says. Charles Spurgeon, he said, no criminal can be hanged a second time. One death is all the law requires. Believers died in Christ unto sin once, and now they punitively die no more. Our condemnation has spent itself upon our gracious representative. The full vials of divine wrath against sin have been poured out upon the head of the great shepherd that this sheep might go free, and therein is our joy, our comfort, our security. So please understand, God has not cheated the legal system. He's not broken you out of your condemnation in some underhanded way. He's, he's freed you. He's forgiven you without violating the integrity of his law. Your sin has been punished. But if you were in Jesus Christ, that sin was punished on the cross. That Jesus took your place. And we've been set free from the sin brings death principle because our sin has been paid for and we're set free to live by the spirit brings life principle, which is way better. That the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, that's a game changer. And this is the second law or principle Paul is talking about, the law of the spirit of life. The principle said, it was up until Christ came, it was this, if you sin, you'll be condemned. You will die but that's been shattered by the work of Christ on the cross. And now people who've been wicked, evil, and sinful can stand before God forgiven and justified. And through Jesus Christ, the controlling power of sin and death, they've been driven out of your life by the Holy Spirit and replaced by the controlling power of the Spirit. And in Jesus Christ, you've been pardoned for your sin. And now that the Spirit is in your life, you've been empowered to fight your sin. And this is, this is what Paul's going to kind of, well, we'll get into next week in Romans 8, verses 5 through 17. 
A Christian's life is now governed by this principle that the Holy Spirit and life are inseparable, that wherever the Spirit enters, he always brings life. So yes, you're gonna struggle with sin on this side of eternity, but what, the, what, what God's word said is this, is that the Holy Spirit's power for life is greater than sin's power for death. And I know that some of us have these feelings of insecurity. Again, we're living with this, God, please don't bump me. God, please don't bump me. Please let me in. And we're, we're worried and we're, we're doubting and we're going, I'm the, I'm the exception to all of this. But I would say this, trust God's word over trusting your feelings because your feelings aren't a great barometer for truth. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, you've been obedient to what scripture tells you to do when you put your faith in Jesus, then you can know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in the midst of your intense spiritual battle with sin, you don't need to fear that your forgiveness is in jeopardy because Christ has already secured your forgiveness on the cross. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, if, if you're hearing the gospel for the first time or you, you want this forgiveness, that you want to stand before God and hear that verdict that there's no condemnation, you can have that today. You can speak to me, you can speak to Greg on the way out, you can fill out a connect card at the Welcome Center or online at halifaxchristianchurch.ca and just let us know that you'd like to talk about accepting Christ as your savior. And what we see is that through Jesus, God replaces our guilt with grace by taking our place and that for the Christian, the verdict is in. We are not condemned.